Well, welcome, Applewood family. Those of you who might be guests with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. Trust that you have had a, a good week following Resurrection Sunday and have <clears throat> found yourself living in the power of that day. One of my all-time favorite stories told by a pastor <clears throat> about a woman who came up to him the Sunday after Easter. She was following the sermon and she said, now, so last Sunday we, we celebrated the resurrection of, of Jesus. So I know that, that Christ is, is risen. She said, but, but tell me about what came after that. And he said, well, following the resurrection, after a number of days, he ascended back to the Father and is in heaven and, and he's alive. And she looked at him and said, he's alive? And he said, well, yeah. She said, you mean he's, all these years later, he's, he's still alive? And he said, yes. She said, you mean alive like you and I am alive? And he said, well, yeah. She said, why didn't you tell me that? And of course, the pastor thought he'd made it pretty clear the week before. But he goes on to say she was so excited about the news that Jesus is alive that she spent most of the following week calling friends and family to say, did you know that Jesus is still alive? True story. So, so tell me, are, are you aware that Jesus is still alive? You know that. All right. I, I'm relieved. I, you know, I've, I've been assuming all along that you did. So, that being true, tell me this. Believing that Jesus is alive, are you living like he is? Little less enthusiasm there. Am I? Am I living like he is? Are we living like Jesus is alive? You know, he gave his disciples instructions for what they needed to do next. He gave them a mission for their lives. And after he announced the mission, he was gone. That's the ascension. The scene in Acts 1 is <clears throat> definitely one of, of my favorites. I think it's hilarious. You remember the disciples, after Jesus has given them their mission, disappears into the sky and Luke writes that the disciples were standing there staring into the sky. Mouths hanging open, that's my edition. When two angels appear and say, so why are you standing here staring into the sky? This same Jesus who has left is going to return the same way that you've seen him go. And I'm thinking to myself, the disciples' response to that question, even though it's not written down, they, they were perhaps thinking this, was something along the lines, well, well, we're staring into the sky because we've never seen anything like this before. And to be perfectly honest with you, we're, we're a little concerned about it. In fact, that's not true. We're a lot concerned about it because he's gone. 
and we're terrified. We really don't know what it is that we're doing and we're pretty confident that we'll screw it up without him. Each of the gospels concludes with life mission language to his followers. Jesus telling them what he expects of them and and each one of the gospel accounts offering just a little bit different perspective on that mission. Matthew records that it was sometime after the resurrection. Jesus appeared to his followers on the mountain in Galilee and, and he told them that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations. Mark writes that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them while they were eating. He just appeared and then he proceeded to rebuke them for their lack of faith and for not trusting those who had said that they had seen Jesus. But nevertheless, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke records the story of the 11 disciples as they're gathered in a house and they're listening to the account of two other followers of Jesus who are not a part of the the 11 and they're telling them that they've seen Jesus. And suddenly in, in the midst of this telling of the story, Jesus appears. And Luke says they were all frightened because they thought they saw a ghost. He showed them his hands and his feet He ate with them. Luke writes that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And John ends his gospel a little differently. He ends it with a a personal conversation between Jesus and Peter. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? And twice, John records Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the third time that Jesus asked, Peter's a little hurt and says to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And After every one of those answers, Jesus would say to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. And Peter, of course, being Peter, noticed that John was standing there and said, well, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return again, what is that to you? And Peter's thinking, nothing, I guess. I shouldn't have asked that question. And Jesus said, Peter, again, follow me. You follow me. Jesus was saying to to Peter, show your love for me 
by doing the ministry that I have for you to do. Feed my sheep, care for and teach others about me. It's the same message that the other gospel writers record, but it's been personalized for Peter. Those words, follow me. Those are words of a first century rabbi spoken to those who were his his mentors, his followers. Follow me means learn from me. Watch my life. Listen to what I say. Watch what I do. Replicate it in your own life. It's very significant, I think, that, that each of the gospel writers recorded in some form the mission that Jesus left for his followers to complete. Because Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, they'd all been with Jesus. Each one had spent much time following him. They'd watched and they'd listened. They had talked with him. They'd learned from Jesus. <clears throat> and it's, it's that truth that, that for me has, has been the idea for this series as they stood there looking up into the sky that day. Each of them probably wondering, well, what's next? What's coming? That's when it hit me. The, the unfolding of what came next is really given to us in, in the book of Acts and, and particularly in the first 12 chapters in terms of the majority of the believers in Jerusalem. And, and, and we know that, right? We understand that, that Acts is, is a record of the growth and the development of the early church and <clears throat> all the dynamics that were a part of that. But I guess I wonder if we, if we think of it enough as a record of lessons learned that are for us as Christ's followers today. If, if their mission is in fact our mission, and I know that we believe that when Jesus said, go into the world and be my witnesses and make disciples and preach the gospel, we, we all understand that that wasn't time sensitive. It wasn't just for them. We, we take that as our mandate as well. <clears throat> so, if their mission is our mission, if our mission is in fact the mission that they had, then it seems to me that some of the things that, that happen in the book of Acts can be a lesson for us in terms of what to look for, what to expect as we seek to follow Jesus and be his witnesses, even though first century life in Palestine was a long time ago and, and very different than life in 21st century U.S., the mission hasn't changed. Uh, I'm not sure that the challenges have changed all that significantly. And certainly, the words of Jesus have not changed. I think the story of how the early believers lived out their mission can inform us for living out our mission, both as individuals and as together as God's people. So we'll spend the next few Sundays together in <clears throat> Acts 1 to 12. And it's not going to be a verse-by-verse study, 
lest we be in it for the next 12 years. <clears throat> but what I'm hoping is that as the Spirit brings to me the, the big picture lessons that, that I am looking for in those chapters, I'm hoping that you'll fill in the gaps and make Acts 1 through 12 a part of your daily reading, daily, weekly just getting into the word. I, I so appreciated what Phil said this morning, the encouragement that, that we would be people who are, who are just getting more and more into God's word for us. So you fill in the gaps as you read along and, and uh, we'll look for the big picture lessons together that God wanted his people then to learn and wants his people now to learn experiences, lessons, challenges that I think are, uh, are appropriate for us. So, sound like a plan? That's where we're going to go. I don't know what I'd say if you said you don't like that plan or that, that you hated it. I'd say, well, suck it up. We're doing it anyway. <clears throat> I'd say it nicely, though, sensitively, lovingly, as, of course, you know me to be. So, let's spend a little bit more time this morning in one of the four accounts of Jesus' uh, mission statement to his followers. We'll do that as a, as a way of preparing for communion together this morning. Uh, Matthew's account, and uh, we're going to read that together. And I want us to, to zero in on, on two, they're, they're obvious, but I think they're, they're really important truths for us as followers of Jesus to be living into. Again, since their mission is our mission, then these truths to them are truths to us as well. So let's stand, and uh, probably some very familiar words to many of us we'll read from from Matthew's account. Here we go. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to his first followers and to us as his followers. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and be seated. Okay. Familiar text, right? We've, many of us have, have seen that for many years. Don, can we put that next slide up? I want you to just, uh, have a little conversation for a minute or two with the neighbor. We read these words. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They went out to the mountain in Galilee. Jesus came to them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. So just for a minute or two, discuss the worship and the doubt of Jesus' followers. What do you think that's about? What's going on there? See what your neighbor thinks. Wow, I, I hate to interrupt this. This is buzzing. <laughs> All right. 
let's, uh, let's talk about it for a minute. Give us some feedback. What, what do you think? Let's, uh, it's, it's interesting that, that Matthew records this. What do you think? What would your neighbor think? What's, what's going on? What's this about? Your thoughts? Dixie, what do you think? Oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. Not mutually exclusive. I like that. Yes. Yes. Good. Good. Good thoughts. Donna, you want to add to it? I think it was easier for them to work. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Matt, what do you think? Hadn't been filled with the Spirit? Bless us with simplicity here. Yeah. Dixie said this is not mutually exclusive. There you go. Good. Good observations. Oh, I, you know, it was a bit, of a bit unfair of me to ask you that question because the reality is we don't really know. Uh, those three words, some doubted, but some doubted, they cause a whole lot of discussion amongst commentators. Kind of fun to read all the information. It falls into the category of what I'm going to call, what the heck is that all about? Um, there's, there's all kinds of questions. What was there to doubt? Well, now, here's, here's kind of an interesting spin. The word that we translate as doubt is not usually used, at least in the New Testament, to mean a disbelief. So they're, 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 not, they're not doubting who Jesus is. They're, they're, not, they're not writing this off. It, it has more of a meaning of, of, of hesitance. So the sentence could be read, they worshipped him, but some were hesitant. Some, some hesitated. And, and, of course, then the question becomes, well, who does the word some refer to? Does it refer to the, to the 11? Well, why were they hesitant? And what about some of you have given some good responses to that? They had, they had spent significant time with Jesus following the resurrection. Some of the other Gospels give us that information. So maybe the some who were hesitant were others who had gathered there as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you see where the discussion goes because we don't like the idea of doubt. We don't like the idea of being hesitant to be committed to Jesus, to signing on, yes, I get it, and away I go. But the reality is, where do we live our lives? And I think that's why some of the commentators struggle with it as well. There are stories in the gospel that, that lead us to believe that, that Jesus' post-resurrection body was, was different enough that some didn't recognize him right away. Were they, were they hesitant to believe it was him? Were they hesitant to worship him? The appropriateness of, of worshiping someone that they have known to be very human. I like the conclusion best of one commentator that I read a fair amount. He says this amidst all the discussion. Here's what we can be sure of. Jesus' resurrection did not instantly transform men and women of little faith and faltering understanding into spiritual giants. 
I love that. Because it's where I live my life. And it's probably where a lot of you live your life. And, and as, as he often did, Jesus knew exactly what his followers were thinking. The hesitance in some of them was no surprise to him. He knew that there were those gathered there that, 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 were, that were wondering whatever their reasons were. But they had come out to meet him. They were his followers. They were there. Followers at all different places in their understanding and commitment to him, just like us. And still, despite the hesitancy, despite the reservations, he gave them and he gives us the mission of being witnesses and making disciples. Here's what it comes down to for me. It's not a question of love for Jesus. It is sometimes feeling like like we just need to know more. We need to understand things better. We need to have answers to hard questions that, that people might ask us. Come to think of it, I wouldn't blame them for asking those hard questions because I have some of them myself. It's not a matter of love. It's, it's a matter of Do I know enough? Knowing the mission that Jesus gives us is one of going into the world and making disciples to be his witnesses, to to teach people to obey everything that he has commanded. And, And how do we do that when we have questions? How do we do that when we feel like we don't know enough or when we don't feel like we obey everything that he has commanded? So what is the first thing that Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, all means all. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. I heard a wonderful story this week from our friend Carrie Wallace. We were together talking about life group ministry and other things and she shared this story with me and I later said, Carrie, that was a wow. Will you share that with the congregation? So, Carrie, would you stand and tell these folks what you told me this week? Hi. Thanks for uh, listening. Um, I just started a new business in October, and recently the corporate office asked if I would help mentor a new person who was starting her business in Golden. And I said, sure. So we got in touch, and I wasn't really looking for another thing to do like that, but, but I thought, well, <laughs> yeah, woo. but it dropped in my lap, and I figured, well, I should probably not say no. So we started talking online, and we called each other on the phone, and it sort of became clear as we talked that she was of a different belief system than me. And it turned out, as I learned more, that she is actually professes as a pagan and perhaps even a Wiccan. And so I was thinking, well, this is different. <laughs> I don't meet very many people who profess this way. And I felt myself feeling excited about it and not... What Guy and I, what I was sharing with him is in a few, year, a few years ago, I probably would have felt nervous or worried or scared or you know, apprehensive about 
interacting with this person because I didn't really know what to do or I'd be afraid. But I felt myself feeling excited and like thanking the Lord. Wow, this is really cool. I can't wait to get to know her and to be part of her life. And so um, we're getting to know each other. We had lunch the other day. She's a lovely person and we'll just see how God works this out. But I can't help but think that this wasn't a random occurrence for me to get paired with her. So I'm just thanking the Lord for giving me that confidence in him or um, removing any nervousness I may have felt in years past. So thanks, guys. Isn't that awesome? I just just loved it. I've, I've thought about that so much. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Carrie is living into that. She's choosing to live into that. And and the first truth that we need to understand about the mission that Jesus gives us is that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And we can choose to believe that or not. Just like you can choose to believe that he's alive or not. Jesus is clearly saying, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. So, what you need to do is think of every authority figure in your life. Every one of them. They only have that authority because he has given it to them. He is in control of their authority. Any power they have is because he allows them to have it. And because all authority is his, that means that all challenges ultimately to his authority will be dealt with. They must surrender to him when Jesus says, it is time to surrender your authority to me. Because all authority on heaven and earth is his. The reason Jesus can tell us to go and be his witnesses and to make disciples in this world is because he has all authority, not us. He has all authority. He has authority, my friends, over the most brilliant of human minds. He has authority over the most stubborn of human hearts. He has authority over those with the most evil of intentions. We go in the authority of the king of the universe. That's what heaven and earth means there in the ancient world. Heaven and earth means everything that there is. We call it the universe. We go in the authority of the greatest power that exists. Amen. Amen. And and. I don't know about you, but for me, it's often fear that keeps me from speaking up. Fear of sounding or looking stupid. Fear of rejection or ridicule. Fear of harm in some form. Every one of Jesus' early followers felt those very same things. That is why he told them that he was the authority of the universe. They had nothing to fear and neither do we. That's the first truth about our mission. First significant, really important truth that we need to remember. Second truth about the mission that Jesus has given us. Being witnesses 
And making disciples is a way of life that is controlled by our awareness of Jesus being with us. This is not a spare time deal. It's not a part-time gig. It's, it's an attitude that should preside over everything that we do in this life. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think it's worth noting that the word go is, is not a, it's not a command. It's not, it's not a verb there. It's, it's a participle. And so it's, it's, it's an action that is ongoing. The command is to make disciples. And so some translators prefer the phrase, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going. Certainly there are those whom God calls to go. I don't know about you, but when I hear that word go, I think of my friends the McLeans in the jungle in Indonesia. You know, I think of the Samarias and the, the, the ends of the earth, the farthest places on earth. And I hear that word go, and sometimes I think, thank God he hasn't called me to go to those places. But then we can't allow ourselves to live like we're off the hook. We need to hear those words as you are going because they're speaking into the everyday activities of our lives. As you are going to work, as you are at work, as you are going to the store and at the store, as you take the kids to school and bring them home again, as you rake the yard, as you are coming and going to all the places in your life and everywhere in between, be my witnesses. There are no time or location restraints on this. It's a full-time deal. Full-time deal. And Jesus promises that he will be there. I am with you always. And for me, that just begs the question, what part of always do I not get? I am with you always. He is always there. He is always with us. As we get ready to celebrate communion together this morning, I want to share with you the spin that Eugene Peterson puts on these words. I love this. Do you remember our text from last Sunday, our Resurrection Sunday text? It was from Mark. And the angel said to the ladies, he has risen. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. Eugene Peterson says this. In every visit, every meeting I attend, every appointment I keep, I have been anticipated. The reason Christ got there 
excuse me, the, the risen Christ got there ahead of me and the risen Christ is in that room already. What is he doing, I must ask? What is he saying? What is going on here? And then he says this. In order to fix the implications of that text in my vocation as a pastor, I have taken to quoting it before every visit or meeting. He is risen. He is going before you to 1020 Emerton Road. There you will see him as he told you. Later in the day, it will be, he is risen. He is going before you to St. Joseph's Hospital. There you will see him as he told you. When I arrive and I enter the room, I'm not so much wondering what I'm going to do or say that will be pastoral as I am wanting to be alert and observant for what the risen Christ has been doing and saying before me in that place. I love that. To be his witnesses. We'll go further with this as we, as we go further into to Acts. You know, witnesses is not always what we think. Witnesses are, a witness is, not always what we think. I think a lot of times the, the, the reservation, the, the fear, the concern comes back to some of those things that I said earlier on. We expect this or we expect that or we should this or we should that. Bottom line is, Jesus spoke to a bunch of folks who were not spiritual giants, who Matt so eloquently pointed out had not been filled with the Spirit of God, knowing that they would, and said, be my witnesses. Take all of your imperfections, take all of your doubts and your concerns and your reservations, live into the love that I have made possible for you because of my sacrifice, my resurrection, the atonement that I made on the cross for your sins. Take all of that and let it motivate you to tell others about what I have done in your life. Amen.